you may find this interesting. On two previous episodes of Talking Catholic, I spoke with two different Catholics about liturgical enculturation. And I prefaced the question about liturgical enculturation the same way, yet I came back with two completely different, yet some, at some points um, uh, they do intersect, answers, okay? Now, the first Catholic that you'll hear from is Timothy Flanders from the Meaning of Catholic Apostolate. He is a convert to the Catholic faith. Um, today, he is a traditional Latin Rite Catholic, but he also has some liturgical experience in different um, Catholic rites. And then there's um, Nathaniel Tenner Williams, who is also a new convert to the Catholic faith. Now, he prefers the um, cultural or traditional black Catholic Church that I'll sometimes call Jim Crow Catholic Church. This is where you find um, in some black Catholic churches of the cultural brand, the traditional brand, they do um, make some changes to the Novus Order Rite to make it seem more what they would say culturally black, whatever that means. And Nathaniel gets into that. So, yeah, two completely different answers that intersect at some points, but both very interesting. And I hope that you like them. You know, liturgy used to be a um, quite a fluid thing. I mean, there, there was a point in time before the mass at Trent where liturgy was many. I mean, it, uh, you know, religious orders had their own liturgy. Cities had their own liturgy. There were just many different liturgies. And, of course, we take that for granted now, of course, because when, um, you know, the Mass at Trent comes, which you call a traditional Latin Mass comes, liturgy moves from something that is that is, is something that the word liturgical enculturation was something that wouldn't be, be a bad word back then because liturgy was just, it was more organic. But then, you know, the Mass at Trent comes and liturgy becomes an export. We begin exporting liturgy, a very ancient um, form of worship common at that day, became to be exported to different parts of the world, regardless of culture, regardless of nation, regardless of, of anything like that. It was, liturgy was exported. I'm not passing judgment on that. But what you said brought, you know, brought up to mind, because you found um, a, a connection to your culture, your, 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 from where you descend from um, in the liturgy. Do you th I think last year the issue came up with what's a bad word now, liturgical enculturation in regards to the Amazon Senate. And there are some people who felt that the people well, the people of Amazon, they deserve their own form of liturgy that's representative of their culture. Putting all that back together, what what's what's do you do you, what's your you know, what's what's your perspective on liturgical enculturation? Is it something that people deserve or should we just stick with what we have? Um, in principle, there's always been liturgical enculturation because there's obviously an Eastern Rite and a Western Rite. So there's already a cultural sort of an enculturation there, right there. I mean, the, we just celebrated Pentecost, which is where the Holy Ghost speaks in all sorts of languages. And so yeah. there, even though Latin is sort of the, the main language of the church per se, there's still, I mean, there's Greek obviously is, is also yeah. sort of an official language as well of the church. Um, and not to mention Hebrew, but then there's also these other languages that are spoken by the Holy Ghost at that time. And so the church is understood to be sort of a multilingual 
uh, thing from the very beginning. And so yeah. you have, and you already, we already have 24 Catholic churches within the one Catholic church, 24 different mm-hmm. rites, plus other rites there, even in the, in the Latins, there's, you know, the Mozarabic and the yeah. um, Gallican rite and all these other Western rites too. So there's always been a, a liturgical enculturation. So there should not be a, should not be a problem in principle with the concept of a certain amount of adaptation to a, any given culture, because that's always been the case everywhere in the history of the church. So mm-hmm. I think we should we should all acknowledge that. But the process of I mean, and this is this is really the difficult part of converting a culture is preaching the gospel to the culture, converting them to Jesus Christ, and then when you baptize a culture. There are things that need to be rooted out of the culture, like demonic elements and things like that. And they need to be rooted out and just destroyed. And then there are other things that need to be just stay the same. Like, you know, you speak the same language. There's no reason to speak a new language or whatever. Um, but then there's also things that need to be taken and transformed into something new mm-hmm. to conform it with the gospel. And so the process of the medieval Christendom was a process of enculturation because you're taking all these <clears throat> barbarians, my ancestors who were terrible barbarians who did terrible things. And you're trying to make them into knights in shining armor. And the church did that by an enculturation process by, um, gradually getting them to that point where there was a certain cultural ideal. And so I think in every, and, and even when the Rome, like you're talking about when the Roman right was standardized into just Roman and they were, you know, they were, they were bringing it throughout the world. Um, there, I mean, there there needs to be a balance between a certain amount of standardization because the, I mean, you can argue, for example, like what happened in China with. Um, now it's I'm losing the the name. Was it uh, Matteo Ricci? I think. What so? I believe it was Matteo Ricci. I'm not I'm not uh, fuzzy on some of those details, but they're he was converting the Chinese or working with them to convert them. And he was trying to advocate a Chinese right of some kind to work on some of that. But then there was some controversy because back in Rome, they thought they were, they were canonizing Confucius. And so they thought they were adding Confucius to the calendar. So then that was a big controversy and they, they got that condemned. But then the, the subsequent efforts to convert the Chinese after that enculturation controversy uh, were not very successful. So, and there's a lot of different factors there, but um, there's also, it is also the case, however, that there has been a great deal of enculturation. Like I, I, um, the Spanish empire throughout the world was able to transplant the Catholic faith into these various cultures from the, you know, the Mexican and the South American to the Philippines. And they were able to, plant some culture in among the people and the gospel with a standardized Roman rite. But I think one of the aspects of this that what we get lost is to, which is lost to us post-Vatican II, is the devotional life of the faithful. There, there is a great deal of devotional practices that are all in the vernacular, that are all culturally sensitive to what other cultures are doing. So there is a certain amount of universality mm-hmm. in the Roman rite where they're, you know, doing Latin mass. But then there's also a great deal of um, cultural uh, distinctiveness too with the devotional life of the, of the faithful. So uh, there, there needs to be a balance, obviously, because, uh, you know, the type of thing that's getting promoted now is just sort of even Jacques Maritain, the sort of the architect 
of Vatican II criticized Vatican II in 1967 and says that it said that it was like kneeling before the world. And that's what that's what we have like with the Amazon Senate is that we're not we're no longer trying to baptize these people and save their souls. We're just right. kneeling before the world. And we're kneeling before these noble savages who and we're saying that they don't even need baptism. They're so wise. And so we're just going to adapt everything to them. So we're not going to root out evil customs. We're just going to change everything and, and adapt everything as much as possible because we don't want to offend anybody, offend anybody's culture. So that type of thing is just this sort of pantheistic, Teilhard de Chardin, uh, you know, kumbaya celebration. <laughs> and it's not the gospel. So um, so I, I, there's definitely a balance, I think, because there is that, on the other hand, there is that sort of extreme, um, like there's no enculturation whatsoever. And I, that's, I think that's also an erroneous view because that's, that's just not historical. There's certainly an amount of, certainly an amount, like you pointed out, even in the West and the Europe, there was a great deal of diversity, yeah. um, which, which uh, to a certain extent was perfectly orthodox and fine, you know, these local customs and things like that. So, yeah, I think there's a balance. That's a really good question. And I think it's a difficult one because it, it also needs to w be worked out on the local level to a great extent, too. Um, mm -hmm. So that's hard as well. It's hard to it's hard to regulate a global church with billions, a, a billion people in it, you know, different <laughs> cultures. So, yeah, but culture is, is a great interest of mine. I think it's a very important subject to address and try to work through with the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, yeah, man, you brought up some really good things there. I like how you really made that distinction between what is properly enculturation versus syncretism. I think what we saw in, in like you said, Amazon Senate was close, much closer to the, well, at least what they were talking about was syncretism, right? Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, what would be orthodox enculturation. Now, this is a topic that, um, that, you know, I've been talking about on my channel in regards to um, Catholicism as is liturgy as is practiced amongst uh, predominantly black Catholic churches which is really a, really a small percentage I think there's maybe like 3 million black Catholics in, United, in the United States uh, maybe like 23-24% of them belong to what is the historical um, black Catholic churches, predominantly black mainly in cities, a lot of these churches were started up, I call them Jim Crow Catholic churches because they, they were started up with the intention of Segregation, right? Um, after Vatican II, there is an effort amongst a lot of these churches to um, in, change the liturgy in a way that was more reflective of the black experience in America, which at that point in time, we're talking about bringing black Protestantism into the Catholic Church with certain types of songs, you know, this, things, and that. So, so yeah, this is a conversation I, I, you know, I, I've engaged in, you know, quite often from that perspective. But it's so interesting to hear from your perspective um, how you were attracted to the liturgy and, um, yeah, man, it's really it's a lot to think about there. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, I, that's, that's really been uh, such a, I mean, uh, such a flashpoint of American culture is is the the African and the European cultures clashing, not only because there's this obvious this obvious racism 
and there's these structures of racism and all sorts of different things going on and bloodshed and all that. But there's also a, a very difficult cultural tension where, you know, the Europeans and the Africans don't even understand each other's culture. There's just yeah. a, a, it's a strange world to each other, you know? And uh, yeah, that comes out like in, like in the music or whatever. Um, and it's, I mean, this is the legacy of all, our own, our own cultural conflicts. Um, but the question of culture is such an important one to understand. And we 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 had a like internet discussion about this when we um, in in writing, and that's one reason why I want to have you on a show because I really appreciate and respect it, your perspective. Um, you know, I, I see liturgy as, as something that, and it's strange because conventional wisdom is a little bit different now than what it used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, conventional wisdom with lit liturgy used to be liturgy was many. There, there was a time in the world when towns, every town has its own liturgy. Religious orders had their own liturgy. Dioceses had their own liturgy. Everybody had their own liturgy. There were hundreds of liturgies. In, in the West, and there was some beauty in that, and also there was a problem, obviously. Um, so in, it, it became a time where um, there's a Pope Paul VI, I'd like to say, um, that when liturgy became, as time when it was many, then it became one. And the Pope said that any liturgies that are older than, I believe, 100 years at, the, at that time, I think it was 100 years, had to cease. And from that point for the what, what we call now traditional Latin rite would be the liturgy going forward. And so liturgy became something that, that we're heretofore, something that was organic. It was something that um, liturgical enculturation wasn't a bad word uh, <laughs> because culture formed liturgy. Right, but um, liturgy became something that was rather being something organic and local. Liturgy became something that had became an export. Right, the liturgy of the Latin liturgy, um, regardless of culture, regardless of where in the world, this medieval ancient worship became to be exported in different parts of the world, regardless of people's um, how how they how they worship, and so. Now, now, so now, because that, that's been away for, you know, 700, 800 years, now we hear words like liturgical thought, uh, enculturation, and, and, you know, these things, it sounds like, you know, really bad words, but now that's conventional wisdom. That's how just liturgy is. Liturgy is something that's exported, right? Um, so, but, but I have some friends, right, some very smart friends. And I want to shoot this out to you that who would look at this, this, this exported liturgy, this medieval Roman worship, and they would say that the liturgy, the Norse order, or the traditional Latin rite, that it is, is how the liturgy is, is kind of foreign to who blacks intrinsically are as a people and how how we will worship. And some people would even go so as far as there's some, you know, um, that's like sort of cultural imperialism to force this type of liturgy 
onto blacks, right? Would you would you go that far, or where, where are you at in that whole conversation? Um, it's hard to say. It does sound harsh, and I don't think that I could fully endorse that kind of rhetoric because I don't think that that's the church's intent, and I don't think that largely black people felt that way when it was, you know, kind of imposed on everyone in the church, when everyone was celebrating the Latin rite. I don't think black Catholics felt like they were being oppressed by that or somehow restricted because a lot of them have become Catholic to get away from what they felt like were excesses within black Protestantism or a certain uh, looseness within black Protestantism. Uh, so certainly I can't say that that was the the general opinion of black Catholics at any point mm. before maybe the mid to late sixties. Um, but you know, everything in its context kind of makes sense. I think when they made the liturgy more uniform, there was a purpose for that. When they opened it back up more so to cultural, to enculturation, there was a purpose for that. And in their own time, in the times that those things were implemented, they had a purpose. They had reasons for doing so. And I don't see it as my place to interrogate those reasons. But then again, I'm speaking now from a time when there's not much restriction at all. And people are obviously doing whatever they want with the liturgy and often probably taking it too far. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think that, you know, having a Latin mass celebrated everywhere in the world was cultural imperialism. Uh, it was just, it was what the church deemed best at the time. And we don't, I mean, part of becoming Catholic and being Catholic is obeying what the church has decided in a formal way like that. Yeah, yeah. When, when black Catholics and they bring in um, things into the liturgy now um, that I would say us, for us blacks in America would look African. Um, is that I'm trying to find my words here. We say is that can we say that's liturgical enculturation? Because what I'm saying, because I, what I'm asking is that if we bring in Elements, and I'm thinking of hand drums. I'm thinking of people dressing in, in kente cloth and things like this. Is um, and of course that you know how a person dresses. I don't know if that harms. You know that that, that doesn't invalidate the mass, obviously. Mm -hmm. But these type of things, um, I guess I want to ask you: Why do we do that? In and is that liturgical enculturation? I think it is, but it's certainly unique because we are in a unique situation, unique context. Usually liturgical acculturation is happening in a culture's homeland. Like if you have a liturgical enculturation right now in say Ghana, or for Ghanaians, it's happening in Ghana. Right. And they are they're integrating culture that is, you know, for the more or less inherent to them, things they grew up with, things that they know for themselves, 
that they can trace back throughout their culture for a long time. Yeah. Whereas in America, African-Americans don't necessarily have that privilege. When we do something African or Afrocentric, typically we're looking at something we are not ourselves fully familiar with, at least not in a long-standing historical context, like say a native African might be. Um, so when we put on kente cloth or use a hand drum, we're importing a culture or aspects of a culture that we are ourselves trying to become more familiar with and learn and become connected to. And for me, I think that's a beautiful thing because that culture was obviously torn away from us in many, in one way or another. And we're just doing what we can and what we think is, is best in trying to recover it. And I think we have every right to do that because you know, what else do we have? We don't, <laughs> we, if we're not going to do that, what are we going to do? We're going to be using someone else's culture. I can tell you that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, when African Americans do try to be African or Afrocentric, I think it's it's a noble cause. It's good for people of African descent, recent African descent, to you know be proud of that and try to display that in ways that are you know appropriate. And sometimes that that can be integrated into the mass. I think. And I think sometimes people outside of the Black Catholic Church culture may find this weird. There's an aspect of being black in America that is hard to communicate in a sense because even though you and I, you know, I was born in 72, um, you were born sometime in the 80s? Uh, early 90s, 91. Early 90s, okay. All right, yeah. Um, but still, that, that's a great conversation because it's, and even though we're far removed from the transatlantic slave trade, far removed physically. Um, from our descendants who, you know, if, if this is the case that, you know, even if our descendants were, were, were slaves, we don't, sometimes not all black Americans know um, yeah. whether the descendants were slaves or not. A lot of free blacks in this country. Not, nevertheless, that it's hard to communicate this sense that even though we're far removed from it, that for a number of reasons, we still feel tied to that history. Um, in a way that's even perhaps more personal than I think of some some whites in America who may have descendants from the Irish and from um, different parts of the world, you know, the, 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 um, the English, different parts of Europe. Um, we're connected to, a lot of blacks today are connected to our history in a more, in a more deeper way just because of the, the tragedy of the whole thing. And how some of that tragedy um, um, still affects um, um, blacks in America um, today in, in a number in a number of areas. Mm-hmm. And so, this idea that that black Catholics that they somehow want to um, communicate that what it means to be black in America and have be connected to an ancestry that ancestry that was stolen is is something but and as much as I understand that right um, you know from a black Catholic you know, my, my experience is that you know that I'm not particularly drawn to black Catholicism right if, if I if I if if I felt more connected to the culture right I mean, I would I would be a Byzantine all day, right? It just it just happened to be that after the Divine Liturgy was over, 
no one was speaking English, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, you know, I just didn't feel part of the community. But as far as liturgy goes, that's where my heart is. My heart is liturgically in the East. It just is. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not drawn to the expression of uh, black Catholicism. But obviously you are. And as far as this, this, this desire to bring what was stolen into liturgy, and as, as you say, borrow from different parts of the African culture to bring that in, because there's nothing that we can bring in necessarily here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is sometimes that we do, it seems to be the case. I mean, do, do, is it the case that sometimes we do bring in black Protestantism? I think we do. And part of, I think part of the reason that we do is because since most black people in America have been Protestant, whatever we have retained from African culture would be found there. So, you know, there are certain things that black Protestants do, tend to do, that we really have no reason to believe it's not an an artifact of African culture. Um, Now, I'm not the scholar who can break all that down for you, but I know I've looked up recently, like, why do black people do, like... (laughs) what is known as a praise break. Like, how does that develop? And there was actually a thing brought over by West Africans called the ring shout, where they would kind of dance around in a circle, um, shouting, and that was brought into Black Protestantism and has developed into, you know, whatever it is today, with lots of loud, fast-paced music, fast-paced music and dancing. And when you look at it in Black Protestantism, you wouldn't necessarily be able to say, oh, well, that's, you know, an African tradition, but in reality, it is. And so there are things like that that I think Black Catholics since the late 60s, mid-60s, have attempted to bring into Black Catholicism because they see in them the artifacts of African culture, whereas prior to the 60s, Black Catholics were only experiencing that uniform, more European flavor of Catholicism which obviously probably doesn't have any artifacts of African culture, nothing that a black person in America could cling on to and say, that's part of my lost history. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that's a lot of the motivation um, from from an academic sense, because I don't know if necessarily that's what black Catholics were thinking of. They just kind of say, you know, this is what black Christians do in America, so we're going to do it too. But I think if you you, uh, investigate that, you see that, yeah, a lot of the stuff actually is, you know, the our inheritance from Africa that survived in Black Protestantism and that Catholics are now, to some extent, trying to recover. That's my, that's my analysis, at least. And I know some people may, because um, we can never know everyone's intentions, right? But obviously, I mean, it's, it's the case that some, some Black Catholics thought that one way to attract black Protestants was to incorporate some elements into the liturgy that Protestants, black Protestants may be attracted to. I don't know about, I don't know if that works. Um, I, you know, I, I'm no expert on this. I haven't had a conversation with everyone about why they did or did not become Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there, there's a point, if there's anyone out there who, who, who does think this, that we should be more like Protestants and bring some of that into the liturgy so that Protestants be more attracted into the liturgy. 
And I, I admit, my wife, when she before she became Catholic, there was a black Catholic church in Columbus, Ohio, that she liked going to, you know, because it seemed like a Protestant church to her. She just felt more at home. And I was happy for her, right? That, oh, well, maybe she'll become Catholic, you know, by because this is kind of... But at the same time, you know, I just felt kind of dirty, right? Because <laughs> mm. I didn't... You know, I didn't... You know, I... I, you know, I just, I just struggle with that. Um, yeah. I think it's a, it's definitely a somewhat problematic, it would be a problematic method if people were trying to implement it that way for that reason. Like, you know, let's, let's do things like Protestants so Protestants will want to come into the church. It's a problematic line of thinking, but insofar as legitimate enculturation would make, for example, in this example, black people think, you know, this is a Catholic church, but it feels black. Therefore, I can feel at home here. I think that's a much less problematic result. Um, and if people were to think about it that way, like we're enculturating a liturgy so that this culture recognizes that the Catholic church truly is universal. You know, I think that's the point is that, you know, the church, the church should be able to have that, that kind of freedom, that kind of incorporation. And I think it can be and probably is effective in bringing some people into the church, but it should not be, it should not be thought of or implemented in the, in the way that you described, which is, you know, let's copy, <laughs> let's copy some other people's stuff so that we can, you know, uh, snatch those people up <laughs> out of their churches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that works everywhere else. I mean, in, in entertainment and sports, um, technology, I think we... <laughs> but I just don't know about the liturgy, like you said. But yeah. do we want people comfortable in our liturgy? I mean, the liturgy, liturgy is supposed to make you comfortable, or should the liturgy do be... My, my, my you know, my, I think I, I said this to you before, that... Um, I think I think there's a danger bringing too much of the world into the liturgy because it doesn't leave any space for the liturgy to transform you to go back into the world. If the if liturgy is just like the world, then what the hell is the good is the liturgy for? I I I can hear you. I hear you. I feel you to some extent. But when I'm thinking of enculturation, I'm mostly thinking of you know the style of music that we might sing or the way we might interact with that music. And like the other things I mentioned in the article, a longer homily, a longer sign of peace, which I know is, can be in itself problematic, but um, like those things in my, in my opinion, do not change the nature of the liturgy. They just uh, shape the expression of the liturgy. Like you could sing the same song in two different styles. You can sing, you know, holy, holy, holy in a European way, or you can sing it in a gospel choir way, but you're not changing the meaning of the song. And so, again, in my opinion, I think that if a Catholic church and a Protestant church in a certain cultural community look similar, that makes sense because that culture um, is legitimate. And the message of the Catholic church is not that cultures, specific cultures are not allowed in the church. And in, in most other cultures, you can see that. You go to a church in a, in a white community, you know what, what the liturgy is going to be like. You go to a church in a Hispanic community, you probably know what the liturgy is going to be like. And there's going to be elements from those cultures integrated 
And it just so happens that since the late 60s, the black Catholics, you know, got in that, got into that game as well. And uh, I feel like it gets a lot of criticism that other cultures don't seem to face right now. But again, I think that's partly because America's unique in the way that it has dealt with black people over the years. And by unique, I mean <laughs> incredibly repressive and not so great. Hmm. That's yeah. I think I like that point. One of the longest homilies I ever heard was not in the Black Catholic Church. It's actually when I was in Puerto Rico. I had no idea what the guy was saying. It sounded like he's really passionate, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I picked up things here and there. Um, but yeah, that's that's that's. But I think that was um, the, the the culture, the culture, the culture there. And I like what you said also about um, singing. Um, uh, parts of singing the Gloria in a cadence such as Mary Lou Williams might have sung it um, in her in her in her in her album The Mass. Um, um, that doesn't change the essence of the liturgy. It doesn't change Jesus being present. It does change the expression. It changes you know, but it doesn't change the essence of what the Mass is is um, bringing. But why not just have why can't just black Catholics just why 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 as um you know as we say in the, in the black community um, we like to we might have some food we might hook it up right we might add some hot sauce too we might add some flavor too we might hook it up why why hook up <laughs> the novice order right why do we, why why not just have a whole new right brother if there was one thing I wish could happen soon it's exactly that because mm-hmm. as long as we are trying to you know, in a sense, wrangle the Norvis Ordo, Norvis Ordo into what our culture tends to express, it is going to look funky. And it will be very easily criticized because of how unlike anyone else's culture ours is. And I'm told that at one point there was going to be an investigation of an African-American right, partially for that reason. It didn't happen. I hope, again, that someday it will happen soon. But it would make a lot more sense if we just had a sub-right within the Roman right, like uh, the Congolese have, where, you know, our culture is seen in the mass because this mass, this form of the mass, is actually a product of our culture that has been endorsed by the Holy See and whatnot. Because otherwise, we're just, we're going to be in that tension and have to answer a lot of questions in a complicated sort of way instead of just saying, this is our culture, and the church has said we're allowed to integrate it into the mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna make some people mad with that. Cause I'm not gonna completely. I'm not completely disagree with you there. I, I, I just, you know, it's just one of those things that conventional wisdom today, uh, probably, you know, just confines that that notion of a new liturgical rite based upon somebody's culture is just a strange idea. Um, <laughs> Strange indeed, but not unprecedented. Not unprecedented. Not, a, not, a, not unprecedented. Yeah, we just have to know history a little bit better. But um, yeah. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. <laughs>